Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Billy Munger. And hello, I'm Johnny Herbert. And welcome back to Lift the Lid, the podcast that takes you flat out around the world of Formula One. That's right, Billy, and it's that time of the week we open up our tea radio and drive you towards some lovely questions. Right, let's dive in, mate. We've got some good questions that have come in this week. Uh, I'll kick it off for us. And this is a question that's coming from Tom, and it says, when you leave teams, do you bring mechanics with you? Yeah, so that's a question from Tom. So... I've never been in this situation before, really, Johnny. In the world of Formula One, I think this is more, maybe slightly more common to see, you know, mechanics bounce around from teams. But equally, yeah. sometimes mechanics can be at teams their whole career. So what what's your experience been of that like in Formula One? Yeah, well, for me, I think every time I move, I, I never actually brought anyone with me. So okay. it wasn't something that sort of happened. And I think it probably happens less now. I think yeah. the teams are much more... Uh, tougher uh, with contracts, for example. Yeah, and they true. try and imply the best they possibly can. So they don't want them to leave if a driver leaves. And the only guy really, I think, who ever did that to to uh, to a degree where race wins and championships uh, came his way uh, was someone who drove at Benetton. Uh, he took Rory Byrne, he took Ross Brawn, he took quite a few other people with him as well when he went to Ferrari. Yeah. And that worked out all right, didn't it? It worked out all right for Michael <laughs> Schumacher. Yes, yes it didn't it? pretty much so. So Michael had that track record, did he, of taking people yes. with him? Well, I think he, he was very aware that he needed the team around him that believed in him. And, yeah. I, and I always remember Ross, Ross Braun saying, he is the best driver I've ever worked with. And they would do anything uh, to enable him to race. That's win. so important, John, isn't it? It's so important. It's so important to have people around you that believe in you because, you know, every driver has bad weekends. But yep. if that if doubt starts to creep in about what the job you're capable of doing, you know, then it's so hard to, you know, have the team around you to bounce back. Yeah. 
And I don't know of any other driver that has actually done that to win world championships. I was surprised when I thought Michael did that. I thought this would set off a trend and it never seemed to never seemed to happen. I thought, for example, when Sebastian was at Red Bull and he left and went to Ferrari, he did the same thing, but he didn't. He just left and, and you know, carried on with the people that were there. Yeah, I bet Sebastian reckons, I bet he's thinking, oh, when I went to Ferrari, how good it would have been to take an Adrian Newey with me or something like that. <laughs> that I'm sure. That I'm sure. <laughs> Fernando, but Fernando Alonso was the same. He didn't take the people with him as well. So, yeah, it's so, again, I can only really say one guy I've seen that actually did it and it, and it made a massive difference to to the performance of him, but more importantly, to a team that hadn't won for many, many years as well, Ferrari. Interesting to hear about that, mate. That's a, yeah, didn't think it would just be Michael Schumacher, but if it is going to be anyone, Michael Schumacher yeah. is a good name to throw in the bit. Would be the one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. So, okay. And I got a question here from Barry. So, ooh, who is the most powerful person in Formula One? Powerful person. Just sticking it on one person, Barry. I think things things have changed. Yeah, obviously you didn't quite the same. I'd say yeah, it used to be that one powerful person used to be you know Bernie Eccleston, didn't it? That used to well Max Mosley as well. I remember Max Bernie Mosley, and Max together. Yeah. They were quite a team. So a little duo, to be, to be honest. They used to be you yeah. know, back in the day, but it does feel like now there's almost not that standout person in the world of Formula One. It's the roles are split into. There's more roles. Yeah, all the same sort of job that used to be done by sort of like you say a Bernie Eccleston or a Max Mosley used to have more responsibility maybe. Back in the day, mm. yeah. Again, I the the only way I see it now, the most the 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 most power that people have in Formula One, as, as I see it, I think of the teams. I think the teams have so much say on what what direction Formula One is going. So a Christian Horner, a Toto Wall. Yeah, yeah. The whole sort of team principles have more say in what happens in Formula One. Toto Wolff's a commanding character, isn't he? Every time I see yeah. him around the paddock, he's got a presence because he's a, a tall bloke as well. As well. And he's, he speaks really clearly. And yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, new Formula One fans, they see Christian Hall and Toto Wolff on their screens a lot as the bosses of these big teams. Yeah, I think you're right in saying that it wouldn't surprise me if they thought that they, you know, the power in Formula One belonged to people like that. Yeah, I, I get the other the only other guy that I'd maybe mention if you're doing sort of one person is Stefano Domenicali, maybe. Yeah, Stefano. Yeah, yeah. He he's a he's just a really lovely guy, Stefano. You know, very much so. It and he's he's great, and it's good that yeah. got a Formula One person, you know, sort of leading Formula One. You know, rather than sort of sometimes you get the CEOs that come in that don't know the sport inside out, and that's one thing Stefano definitely does. He knows the sport inside out, but. Again, would I say he's like, you know, previous sort of yeah. front men for Formula One, you know, like a Bernie. Dictat yeah, dictatorial. Yeah, he doesn't really strike me. That's not his, no. yeah, he's much more of a, you know, chilled, relaxed, friendly guy, I'd say, than yeah. Sort of, yeah, the leaders we've had in the past. Yeah, I think it's everybody now, isn't it? It's from the rights holders, Liberty Media, it's the FIA, it's the teams. You know, there's a, there seems to be more more togetherness i suppose from that point of view but as, as i said as as always as i said the teams seem to have the, the final say in in many many things nowadays back in the day you know when you were racing bernie eccleston obviously you know he was the the leader in formula one he was you know the the real powerful yeah. figure did you have any run-ins with bernie in your time in formula one anything that 
stood out where you thought, okay, I'm not going to mess with him anymore because, you know, no power. No, not not really. No, I never sort of got myself in, in that position. The only one thing I do remember having a chat, I think it was at Manicor, I think it was. I, I did a game. It's a very early driver's game. I think it was Johnny Herbert's Grand Prix, I think it was called. Uh, and it was very basic. Yeah. It had this, when you talk about rotation on a car, it was like it was on a pinhead. And it basically just swung. <laughs> it was awful. It just sort of turned not in a very smooth, smooth manner. Yeah. Nothing like a car whatsoever. Anyway, so the guy I was doing it with wanted to use F1, Johnny Herbert's F1. And I was going, well, no, no, no. F1, we can't use F1. That's that's what Bernie's got. No, no, no. I just do it and then I'll argue it after the event. That was his mentality. So I had a word with Bernie about this. I said, I've got this guy. I'm doing, I'm doing this game. And he wants to use the word F1, you know, and I think it's probably something I shouldn't do. He said, yeah, he said F1, yeah, because, you know, we have sort of the rights to that and it shouldn't be. And I said, well, it's Johnny Herbert Grand Prix. He said, yeah, that's fine. But he said, if you do use Johnny Herbert F1, I won't come after you. He won't, won't come after you. I I won't come oh, after you. I, That's not saying others might yeah. come after you. Okay. Yes. So that was the but that was a nice way of saying it. Yeah. So you know, he could have been very hard and say, "Don't you do that? <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to do that. If you do that, I can't. he never did it that way. He did it in a very lovely, lovely way. Yeah. I won't come after you. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I I never used it, so he never came after you. No one came after me. <laughs> yeah. Steer clear of that one. I would have done, mate. I think you you made yeah, the wise decision. Yeah. I was like Bernie. Bernie has a cracking sense of humour, and I've never had any issues with him at all. I've always found him to be very very easy and nice to nice to talk to yeah he's a hard businessman but we we look at the teams nowadays they're all playing games as well to try and control things and that was all bernie was doing to be honest yeah so we just did it in, in, a, in a different way interesting question there from barry that was a good one yes uh, what's barry next up we've got a question in from chloe Ooh. and it is team you wish you had a chance to drive for and why so what team <laughs> in you know your career in formula one or after i guess which if you had yeah. a chance to drive for any team who would it be and why for me personally i would have loved to be uh, to have driven for mclaren and i would have loved to be in teammates with lewis back in like 08 that era because lewis was new to formula one and that, that was the era of formula one that got me into it so i would have loved to be you know on the grid back in those days i think that would have been a lot of fun yeah that would have been a lot of fun. You're absolutely right. Me, another British team. A lot of history there. A lot of hard graft uh, to get themselves on the grid. A lot of working in phone boxes to do a deal to enable you to go racing as well. Then having a fantastic engineer by your side. Um, and that's Williams. Yeah. Patrick Head and Sir Frank Williams. One of the most historic teams in Formula uh, 1. Yeah, but they loved, loved the sport and they worked hard to do as best they possibly could, but in the environment of Formula One. And they had such a hunger for that power. And and as I said, this is going back to Sir Frank when he was, I say, working in a garage, I think it was, and he was in the telephone box in the evening working out what well, he was in the he was in the day sorry in the telephone box and then i think at night he'd be actually used the phone in the garage to be able to try and do the deals to enable him to go race it it's it was that period was how things worked where it's a very different world obviously now but it was their ethic their wonderful racing ethic which 
eventually, you know, brought them some some wonderful world championships with some with some, and had some some fat, fantastic drivers as well. So teammate, I would have had you, Billy. Ah. Uh... Yeah, mate. <laughs> I hope that's not because you thought I'd be an easy touch, mate. It was it was in my head. Nah, 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 not having that. <laughs> uh, I don't know who I'd have had as a teammate. I did well the one I want, and again it was done because he was sort of the hero of my when I was young, it was probably Gilles Villeneuve. I go back and I'll probably have see what he was like. Gilles Villeneuve in a Williams with you, Johnny. Rocket, yeah, Rocket. Yeah. That would be very interesting. That would be interesting. <laughs> With my feet, and I want yeah, normal feet, normal. all on equal playing ground as well. <laughs> <laughs> or both with broken feet, one of the way, one of the way around. <laughs> Good question from Chloe. Yeah, here's the next one. So we've got one here, one here from Grace. Uh, how long? Interesting one. How long can Fernando carry on for? Why didn't he win the Indianapolis 500? So there's two questions there. So how long can Fernando go on, and why didn't he win the Indianapolis? I think I'll answer the first bit. To be honest, it, it feels yeah, like... That's it, the easier bit. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> to be honest, at the minute, that I think Fernando is going to dictate how long he goes on for up yeah. than anything else. Agreed. At the minute, he's performing at such a high level that no one's going to not want yeah. him in Formula 1. There's going to be teams all over the grid that, you know, would want his signature on a contract and to have him there. Yeah. It's how long he can keep the desire to keep pushing his body and his mind and his, you know, everything to the limit because that's what's needed in Formula 1. I think... In the last few years, he seems rejuvenated and he seems that, you know, the tra- he's up for the training, he's up for, you know, the mental aspects of Formula One, the pressure, he's all taking it in his stride. But there'll probably come a time where even Fernando Alonso, that serial winner, that, you know, dedicated, motivated individual will get to a stage where, he, you know, he looks at things and goes, maybe I should, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not giving this what I once did and maybe that's a sign that, you know, things should come to an end. But... but at the current rate he's going, I'd say he's got another at least minimum three seasons in him. Yeah, I agree. Again, he still believes. Yeah. He still believes. That's the unbelievable thing. Motivation, still there. Still hungry to to achieve things that look impossible, at the, you know, in many respects. Because of moving to Aston Martin, it's new, it was fresh. They weren't someone who were sort of looking at winning races. They've got closer. And they are close enough if everything goes right for them. There is a lot of work going on in the future as well. You say of three years, that's when the, the new factory will come online as well. And then there's all the positives that will come from from that as well. So I think that's what he's looking at. I think he's looking at the whole package. When it comes together, he still wants to be there for that, which I think will be brilliant for us. You know, for someone who is in his 40s, it's, it's incredible. Incredible what he's what he's doing still with the race car and and it's and it's beautiful to watch because he's always been good at at races and he's he's still doing a cracky job at that he did he is Brilliant indeed stuff. and that second yeah. part of the question johnny why didn't he yes the indy 500 i mean grace there's not really one specific answer i'd no, say no not with that race no no indy not... 500 you know it, it's a completely different ball game, isn't it? To Formula One, to Le Mans, you know, other big races that he's won outside of the world of Formula One. Indy 500 is completely different to that. And there's a lot of moving parts and they're moving fairly quickly in that, that race in particular. Yeah. Well, he had that one opportunity where everything was looking very, very good for him. Yeah. But it didn't quite work out for him through various, various uh, issues that he had. But of course, then when he went back, he was never competitive. 
yeah. in that last last attempt that he had. So being competitive, as we all know, of course, obvious, is very very important. But there's a lot there's there's a there's a lot of luck involved, but there's a lot of engineering the luck to work as well. You know, saving the fuel, for example. Something we talk about a lot of people um, don't like it, like tire tire degradation. They don't like that that either so it's, it's a little bit less in formula one but it's still an, a little element to it where in in indianapolis it's it's a big deal and it's a lot of drivers having the pace and being within the right window but saving the fuel where the guys that are probably at the sharp end are actually using that little bit more and then when they need it at the end they haven't got it because they've already used it but the guys who were further back are able to use it and fernando i think had that and still has that correct mental ability to absorb everything that he's needed to do in a completely new environment and it was a new environment for him but he adapted unbelievably so but again he had that i want to do this because there's a lot of drivers i know that sort of you know indianapolis they'd never go any, anywhere near it because of the yeah. risk factor of it you ever think about doing it yourself yeah, i i've i wanted to it was one of the three that i wanted to do i wanted to obviously be Formula One world champion, failed in that one. Uh, I wanted to win Le Mans, won that one, so that was quite good. And then Indianapolis was the other one I wanted to compete in. And I did go, I did go there for pole day. I actually was there for pole day, but I was just so dreadfully slow. It didn't matter if I went backwards, upside down, three wheels, two wheels, one wheel in my wagon. It didn't make any difference. And I was flat out the whole way around it. And we and you you you're supposed to have was it the average of three laps if I remember yeah. correctly and I and I never as they say never attempted so I think I did one lap or one and a half lap then I got pulled in and then you got bump day which is normally the week the week uh, week later but I couldn't do bump day it could only be the pole day because I was racing sports cars uh, in uh, in San Francisco so I never got I never went back for for bump day and I and I. I don't, I don't regret doing it because I love the challenge. I thoroughly enjoyed driving between those walls, but it was the challenge of driving between those walls and that little, little tiny little setup changes that you had to do as well. And I was, there were some races. I was meant to race the first race, well, it would be the only race I did, but I never did that, which was going to be in Dallas. Um, but it was September 11. So actually we were driving across. And I think we got to, to Kentucky or somewhere. We actually, all sports in America got called off. And in the test scene, I was second fastest in the test. But then I never got back to the race. And then it wasn't quite the right car when I did the, the Indianapolis. It wasn't in a big team either. So, but I love the challenge of it. And that's where Fernando, you know, there is that wonderful, I'll do anything. I'll do any challenge. Yeah, I'm up Fernando's for definitely got that in his locker, hasn't he? He, he's yeah. not scared to, you know, try something different, try something new. No, no, exactly. So, yeah, that was a nice question. Okay, mate, let's uh, let's get on to the next question from Dan. Who is the best team principal? So, yeah. best team principal. It, it doesn't specify it in there, but I'm going to go with just the current team principles just to keep it simple rather than, you know, team principles we've had throughout the whole of Formula 1. Um, and currently... I, I, although Mercedes aren't doing particularly well at the minute, I would still say that I think Toto Wolff as an all-rounder is, he, yeah. he for me, he's the, the best team mm. principal we've got in sport. I'd have to say for someone who's been able to keep the whole package together, 
And I think we're still we're obviously seeing that this season. He's definitely Red Bull, and I think it's I would have to say Christian because I think what he did with Adrian originally of keep giving him freedom to do what he wanted because there was a very frustrated at one point a very frustrated Adrian Newey because of the way the rules were and you couldn't change much to the car, so he never found that exciting because it was just tiny little details. Yeah, he was wanting to do sort of a big change, which of course came came his way when we came into this new grand effect sort of cars so i think christian did that very very well and controlled that very very well and then you have to say the way the whole team works together i know it's not just christian himself but i know christian's a big part of that um so i i'd probably have to go christian at the moment. i think they're the main two aren't they not only in terms yes, of they the are. number of teams but also you look at how long they've been team principals for you know, they've been yeah. in F1 for a while. It seems like at the minute we've got a lot of new team principals sort of in amongst uh, the teams. And I think if you've been in the sport as team principal for a long time, it probably suggests that that's for a reason and that's you doing a good job. So I think, yeah, both of those suggestions, you know, yeah, make sense. That's it. So, right. Great questions there once again. More after the break. When he did that, ended up in hospital and not, not racing that weekend. Um, and of course, then there was the qualifying uh, where Roland had his big crash and qualifying got stopped from that. And then we lost Roland uh, that day on Saturday, uh, which was, you know, I knew Roland for, for a long time since Formula Ford, actually the Formula Ford Festival, but then he won in 1986. 
then we raced a little bit in Japan uh, together uh, when I was doing my rehab and sports cars as well. And he was very good in the uh, the Toyota. Um, and then he got his break in Formula One and he only did a couple of races. And then sadly, <clears throat> um, we had the accident that uh, he lost his life. So that was really, really sad. So we were all quite upset. Probably most of us in you and closer were more upset than others, but we're all upset as a whole. And of course, then you go to to the race on Sunday, and then we have we have it again a big big crash uh, on the first first lap and the first couple of laps. And initially, I remember going past it and thinking nothing of it. The car looked all in pretty much all together. Then we stopped on the grid. Uh, helicopters flying around. No information actually being fed to us in the cars. And then. Remember the car coming back, Ayrton's car coming back in the through the middle of the, the grid. The only thing you could see, there was a big crack down the side of the monocoque. But just a crack in the monocoque, that's it. So the monocoque was still still together. So I remember thinking, oh, well, yeah, it'd be fine. It'd be fine. Um, and I only learned about it after the race itself. But there was also then the, the restart. The restart was uh, my teammate, uh, Pedro Lamy crashed into the back of um, J.J. Leto, who was in the Benetton at the time, and who had just, I think he'd stalled or he'd pulled away very, very slowly. So, yeah, so so we'd had all that. Didn't know about Ayrton at that time. And then he clattered in the back. His rear tyre went over the fence and hit a few people in the, in the grandstand. So it was another crash Friday, crash Saturday, crash Sunday, restart, crash again. And then, obviously, we learned about Ayrton sort of after the race, and it was just... It was a massive shock just because it happened twice over a weekend. And it wasn't just this this weekend, because then Carl Wendinger went into a coma after he crashed coming out of the exit of the tunnel in Monaco, when we'd all stood in a line remembering uh, Roland and Ayrton. So then he was in a coma. Then I went testing because they cut basically the diffuser off the back of the car to the axle line. It used to be right to the edge of the, the rear wing. Um and when we were on the Grand Prix circuit, they tested. I I just noted Pedro was in front of me, and he just went out of sight through Abbey, the old Abbey curve, left-hander, uh, where it goes right now for turn one. Um, and I just noticed something moved at the back of the car. I got round the corner, and all that was in on the circuit was a was a a, a V a V10 engine smoking under the bridge as the bridge that you come in and go over over the circuit. And that was it. No car, no no wheels, no nothing. I remember stopping, getting out, looking to the right, couldn't see anything where farm is, the farm building. Then I noticed a fence was down, got on, on top of the, the bank, got through the fence. There was a bit of suspension and a wheel or two. And then it's a little pedestrian tunnel going underneath. And as I walked past it, I caught in my eye, I, I saw a flame. So I, saw, I came back again and had a look and about, 20, 15, 20 metres inside that pedestrian tunnel, there was a, a Lotus Formula One car with its driver still in the car. And I remember sort of uh, rushing down to the car. Pedro slumped. The back of the, the where the refuelling used to be was was um, on fire and it was melting the back of the on the paint on his helmet. So I'm thinking, gee, Christ, I'm like, it's going to fry his brain with this stuff going on. But the front of the monocoque had broken off. It was like he was in a deck chair because his legs were on top of the broken off monocoque, crossed. So as I said, like he was in a deck chair. So I remember Marshall came in, 
to put out the fire. So it just went into this white, you know, sort of fire extinguisher powder stuff. Rushed out, got got my helmet off, rushed back in again. Uh, Pedro's still slumped and he's still no movement, no nothing. And then thankfully he sort of opened his eyes and they came out like on stalks. And he was then sort of panicking, trying to get out of the car. So it wasn't just what happened in Imola. It was the whole month. We had a whole month of sort of hell in many respects. But the, the big thing, obviously, was was Roland, obviously Ayrton, because he was the world, you know, a world champion. But um, yeah, it was it was an emotional time. But I was I had this mentality. I suppose because I'd been through my crash, that I accepted that was part of the risk. Weirdly. So when it happened, I always thought, well, if it happened to me, I know I wouldn't want anybody else to stop racing just because. But and I knew Ayrton, I knew Roland, knew there was that risk as well. But we 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 were all willing to take to take that risk, and of course, safety from the time of Jackie Stewart when things were way way worse in the in sort of the late sort of sixties, late sixties, and before, and um, safety got better and better and better. And you know, the guys have got fantastic. Formula One, well, all the all the racing cars that are sort of on the on the various grids from F1 all the way down to to F4, even you know they've moved on a long, long way. So through these horrible times, there are positives that that come from it. Well, yeah, it was a tough one. It was a tough weekend. Yes, yeah, sounds like it, mate. Yeah, interest, really interesting to hear all that from your perspective, obviously, because you know that's a a noticeable period in Formula One. You know. I watched the Senna documentary and bits and pieces yeah. when I was younger and, you know, it took my breath away like and like really, yeah, drew up a lot of emotion. I remember watching that. So it's interesting to hear that from, you know, your perspective as a driver who was, you know, in Formula One at that time and, and how that all unfolded, mate. So thanks for sharing that with us, Johnny. No problem. Next question we've got is from Jake and that is... Uh, was Jackie Stewart as determined to win as he was to get Roger Federer to Martin Brundle? <laughs> I thought that was really, wasn't that cool? That was very Sir Jackie Stewart. That, that was, was Sir absolutely Jackie. brilliant. Going into a place he actually wasn't allowed. Yeah, got the security trying to drag him. Oh, you're not allowed here. Not knowing who the hell he is either. Yeah, but he he stood his ground. Yeah, and he kept on trying to get uh, Roger uh, to Martin, which he finally did. Yeah, which was which was brilliant. Now, was he determined to win races? Damn right, he was. Yes, yeah. that is exactly what Jackie Stewart's all about. I think determined is just the best way to sum him up, isn't it? He is just a yeah. determined individual. I, every time I see him in the paddock doing Rolex, he's an operator, and and everything like this. Still, you know, he's got so much get up and go about him. Still, you know, to this day. And I, I love, you know, having a conversation with Jackie in the paddock. Yeah, you just always. Feel, yeah. You feel rejuvenated from having spoken to Jackie in the paddock. You know, he gives people energy. That's what I find about speaking to him. You know, some people you speak to and, you know, there can be times where, you know, you're kind of like, oh, okay, you, you maybe you feel a bit flat afterwards. You know, they haven't, you know, he's the complete Drop. polar opposite to that. He just, you speak to him and you feel full of energy and you feel like, you know, you can do anything you, you want to do because you're seeing him still doing the stuff he loves to do. So, yeah. Yeah. I think I, I thought it was great. Again, what you see there, as, as I said, is exactly what Jack is all about. But when I drove for him at Stewart, his mentality as well was to try as much as he could to get the whole structure together, which he did with, uh, with his son, Paul. But then even when we went testing, he would be out on the circuit. He'd be watching what you were doing. And if he noticed something, he would come back, stick his head into the cockpit, and he would sort of say, 
They said, Johnny, I've been watching you at the circuit. I could see you at turn 10. We're at Barcelona. See you at turn 10. You're very aggressive with the car. You're very, like, you've got to be smooth with the steering wheel. You've got to be not so aggressive on the throttle when you do the exit of the corner. So you've got to smooth. But I'll go back on the circuit and I'll be watching. I'll be watching you again. I apologise to everyone that had to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I thought that. it was quite good before you said that. Actually, good. I was surprised, mate. That's not bad, you know. <laughs> I've done it quite a few times over the years, so I suppose that's why. But he got out of the cockpit in 1973, and we're talking about 1999, and he's still got a buzz from watching us on the circuit, and he's still got a buzz to come back and say, try this or try that. Uh, was he talking rubbish, or was it? good useful information where you did you go out and well try i it? changed my style i have to say but i only changed my style to please him at that given point was it aggressive everywhere around the lap apart from turn 10 then <laughs> apart from turn 10 <laughs> exactly so nothing i just did i learn from it yes he was absolutely right that sounds like a dad and lad setup that does mate i remember my dad <laughs> used to you know he'd be watching me in go-karts back when i first started and say you need to do this at this corner and then yeah, I'll, I'll do it at that corner, and then the rest of the lap, I'll just do my own thing again. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It makes you think, though. That's that was. The, I think that was the main thing. It did make you think. Well, maybe actually there is a there is something I can actually improve, improve upon, and get actually gain a time gain time out of it. So yeah, so no, so fascinating time. But yeah, well done getting Roger uh, to uh, to Martin. That was really good. So next one we've got right, Jody. How hard? Will Brad Pitt find driving an F2 car with a new F1 feel? How easy will he find that? I mean, in a lot of ways, I think, you know, Formula 2 is a, it's a super challenging category. No power steering, you know. Yes, it's physical. A, yes. It's a physical beast. It is. It you is. know, people think, you know, when they think of Formula cars, sometimes they think it's all, you know, lovely power steering. It's like driving a road car. It's all nice and easy. You jump in an F2 car, you're going to realise quite quickly it's not like that. You know, oh, it's going to it's going to smash your face. Yeah, <laughs> wear your arms out. That is going to be a rude awakening for yes. Brad Pitt. But yeah. you know, someone's got to try it, and someone's if they're making a film, someone's going to have to be you know inexperienced and and get behind the wheel of an F2 car and experience it for the first time. So. Let's, let's see how he gets on. Yeah, see how he gets on. I tell you what, Tom Cruise, we know, he loves his speed. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's in the air, on the ground, two or four wheels. But he, I think his brain is sped up enough, and that enabled him to drive that that Red Bull, um, I think, what, a couple of times, I think it was. And yeah. He, and from what I understand, he adapted to it very, very well. But I think it was because the way his mind was was tuned for speed. He's wired in the same way as a racing driver, I think. Yeah. Yes, Exactly. Brad, I don't know. I don't know if Brad has a sort of a, a proper motorsport interest or a motorcycle interest. Like mm. That's why I don't know because it's all all it normally. The only way I can explain driving a car is being able to actually slow it down. So that means our brains are actually spinning up probably fifty times quicker than sort of normal people. But that enables it to all go slow. Yeah, so we can pick our breaking point. We can do all the shifting that we need to do. Because if it's all flying past at 200 miles an hour as it would be in a Formula 1 car, you, you can't do it because it's just happening so damn quick. So an F2 is still a massive challenge, but he hasn't had, I think, much experience in other categories. 
of racing. So, but it's amazing sometimes if you're determined enough. I think you know Billy as well. If you're determined enough, you're adapt very very yeah. quickly because you're actually your adrenaline will allow that to to happen. Yeah, and I think one thing it will do for for Brad Pitt, you know, making this new Formula One movie and jumping into an F2 car, as I think it will make him probably respect the level that the Formula One guys, you know. Yeah. What they're at on a day, yeah, give, it, give him an understanding. Yeah, yeah. Because if he gets in an F2 car and he thinks this thing's a beast, how do wow. they drive these? Formula yeah. One's another level to that. So again, I think yes. it will give him some clarity on what motorsport at the, the highest level really is all about, which is obviously hopefully going to translate well when it comes to the actual film itself. Yeah, indeed. Looking forward to it. Actually, very, really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to what they can what they can do with uh, the technology that's around in this modern era. You know, yeah. I love the, the latest Top Gun movie and doing a Formula One movie in that style. I think it's going to be epic. Yeah, I'll I'll be there when it comes out for sure. I'm still waiting for the call. Waiting for the call. Yeah, cameo roll for Johnny Herbert, please. <laughs> yes. You hear it first. Come on. <laughs> Uh, movie star in the making enjoyed that another brilliant set of questions this week Donny yeah absolutely uh, thank you everyone for joining us and sending in your questions really appreciate it if you have any questions please make sure you get in touch with us via social media you can find us on at lift the lid pod join us next week as we take the show on the road and visit an F1 team looking forward to that one yeah, this is going to be exciting, mate. It is. Make sure you join us for that one uh, next week and uh, you can find out all about what we're up to and who we're with. So take care and it's goodbye from us. It is. Bye. This has been a Soapbox London and SBX Studios production. Our executive producers were Rowan Wilkinson and Andy Bell. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.